It's Monday, August 20th, 2018. I'm Jeremiah Zimmerman, and this is episode 173 of the 5049 podcast. How you guys doing? Thanks for joining us for another conversation between myself and another musician. Today, that musician is guitar player Sandy Ewan. Let's have a listen. Sandy does pretty incredible things, pretty singular and incredible things with the electric guitar, and uh, I'm happy that she was able to come over and, and do the talk. Today on the show, Sandy Ewan. Before we get into it, uh, a couple of things. First up, uh, thanks to everyone who came out to Arte this past week for my conversation with Ben Goldberg. It was really special. Uh, I'm going to put that one up next week. Uh, and then also, I'm going to mention that might probably be the last one of those live podcasts that we're going to do. Uh, I'm going to do one with Joe Morris in November. Uh, but yeah, I, I, you know, I, I gave it a shot and uh, I thought it was a pretty cool evening, uh, the, the concept. World-class musicians uh, performing at, in a small, clean, respectful space, uh, followed by some pretty good conversation. Next week, I'll put up the conversation with Ben Goldberg, which, uh, as a continuation of our, our conversation from four or five years ago, I found to be incredibly insightful, and his performance was stunningly beautiful. Today on the show, Sandy Ewan. Um, Sandy's incredible. Do you guys know her? She just moved to town from Houston um, in the last year and has hit the ground running. I think she said she's done something like 70 or 100 gigs in New York since she got here. Uh, that's impressive. And I just saw her play for the first time um, not long ago. I shared a bill with her uh, this past June, and I was completely blown away. She has a really singular approach uh, to the guitar, to improvising, and it's fucking awesome. Uh, I can't recommend what she does highly enough. And she's also a licensed architect, which gives her an extra special place uh, in, in my headspace, uh, some of you may know. Uh, my wife is a licensed architect, um, so I have an appreciation for, for, for the people that do that. I'm putting the show up today uh, because Sandy has some pretty exciting shows coming up um, in the next week or so. August 27th, she's going to be at Wonders of Nature uh, in Brooklyn. She'll be playing with Maria Chavez and David Dove, duos and trios. She'll be pretty good. A couple days later, August 29th, Holo. She's playing uh, duo with Tom Carter. Uh, that's August 29th at Holo in, uh, I think it's Queens. It's really fucking far away. I don't even know where it is. Uh, and if you want to find out more about Sandy, go to sandyewan.com. She stays busy. She makes great music. Uh, and, you know, she's as you'll hear in today's conversation, she's a delight. Uh, that's it. I hope you guys are all doing well. Here's my conversation with Sandy Ewan. They, they've been having a pew. Usually they're pretty good, but they've been like um, doing that a lot. Sounds like a great introduction to the podcast. <laughs> talking about my dogs peeing on the floor. <laughs> they're usually pretty good. It's really weird. Yeah. There's, um, yeah, yeah. So you don't have dogs personally? Um, no. No. Have you ever trained a dog? Um, well, growing up, well, the, we had a dog that we got when I was in like grade seven grade seven in, in Canada. seventh grade it wasn't well technically it was seventh grade because we were in florida then okay <laughs> sorry no no i love sometimes I lo my canadian is slips out oh uh, no i love that i like, blend in most of the time do you talk about do you say oh, i have to go buy a bag of milk or no <laughs> <laughs> but in, in canada you did it bags. comes in bags but you would just say i'm gonna get some milk i'm not gonna go get a bag of milk <laughs> bag of milk do you, know, do you know this keyboard player named jamie saft no. Really great musician, also completely out of his mind. Has but an album called Bag of Milk. <laughs> <laughs> we were in Montreal together, and mm -hmm. we, we were stopped at a store, and we saw a bag of milk. I was like, hey, Jamie, why don't you drink a bag of milk? <laughs> and for years now, that's like, it's become the thing. 
<laughs> Choke on a bag of milk, Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> wait, so wait, in grade seven, you had a dog? Well, yeah, we got a Bichon Frise. Her name was Molly. What kind of dog is that? It's a white fluffy thing. Okay, so like a small dog. Yeah, non-allergenic. My dad was a, still is allergic to dogs. Yeah. So we eventually found that there were dogs that you couldn't be allergic to. Right. And got one of those. Did you train it? Yeah. Yeah, I taught it how to like sit and stay and roll over and, you know. Try to train a chihuahua. They're pretty untrainable. <laughs> I mean, have you tried? You need lots of treats. I, mean, I didn't try that hard, but, <laughs> but they're no, I mean, they, they're good. They will sit if they want food. If they know you're going to give them food, they will sit. They will. They were. They just have more food all the time. Yeah, I know, but I don't want them. They, they got, <laughs> one of them got kind of fat for a minute. Um, but they don't like. Um, they're just naturally. They're not dumb. They're just obstinate. Yeah, dogs can be that way. <laughs> it's great. I, I actually like it. You know because yeah. It, well, they're small, so it's they're obstinate. You just pick them up and put them where you need them. That happens every single day. Yeah, like you don't. Every single day, I carry Pearl around. Yeah. Yeah. Because they won't necessarily come. No. <laughs> So as I'm, long as they're not running away from you and making you chase them because it's fun. I mean, that's, they do do that. Then that's, you know, that's fun too, but it's fun. But <laughs> as long as it's indoors, because I'd be terrified if something happened outside. Yeah. Yeah. Those little dogs. <laughs> <laughs> Anything could happen. Wait, did you play on one of those Elliot Sharp, like guitar compilation things? Yeah. I never met a guitar. Uh huh. He lives right over here. Yeah. I went to visit him one time. Here? Yeah. Yeah. Like right when I got into town, because um, I'd already been on the compilation, so I knew who knew. I knew he knew who I was. But you guys hadn't met before. No. So okay. I, I was like, "Hey, Elliot, I'm in town. We should hang out." And he's like, "Yeah, come over and get some coffee." So that's nice. He's really into espresso. He's really into espresso. I felt like I was asking for it wrong. Like he was asking questions about how I wanted my espresso. And how did you ask for it? I don't even remember what the question was. That's the thing. I don't know. Was he like, you want it ristretto? You want it long? Like, how was... Yeah, something like right. that. And I was just... Uh, I don't know, just give me a coffee. coffee. <laughs> <laughs> he's, yeah, he's really, really into espresso. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it was good espresso. I'm, I'm sure it was. Yeah. All those guys of that generation, not all of them, but a lot of those guys who like improvisers touring Europe in like the 80s, they all have a thing for espresso. I mean, espresso's great. I, yeah. Fair enough. Is that what you drink, espresso? Um... I usually get a cortado at this corner store. That's pretty fancy. Um, yeah, I feel like an Americano is just too much, and then cappuccino's got too, too much, much milk. foam and yeah. everything. Yeah, 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 Latte is just like a heap of milk. Yeah, it's gross. I don't drink yeah, milk. Yeah, so cortado is like, you know, yeah. a little bit more than just the espresso. Right. Huh. Did So when did you officially arrive in New York? September. Of 2017. Yeah. I haven't been here very long. Not even a year? No, less than a year, yeah. And you said you've done 70 shows in New York? Yeah. That's a lot of fucking <laughs> Probably shows. Probably more than that. That's just the one. Like, I counted up all the ones on my recorder. Like, I have an audio recorder. You so. record everything on a Zoom? Uh, yeah. Well, it's not a Zoom, but yeah. But, right. Yeah. I mean, I've missed a few. Sure. Um, so, I had... A, I counted 70. I bet there's probably another 10 that I didn't get recorded for one reason or another. Yeah. So I, pro I played at least 75. That's just New York shows. I also played shows in Texas and Canada and uh -huh. stuff. Like, so I've probably played 90 or, or so shows this year. That's great. It's a lot. It's a lot. I mean... Did you play that much when you lived in Texas? Uh, not that much. I played a lot. I mm -hmm. mean, I'd probably play maybe once a week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's still pretty good. Yeah. I missed 52 shows a year. Yeah, probably. Maybe maybe less than once yeah. a week. I mean, it would probably actually add, add up to about probably 50 shows a year because sometimes you, you do a couple shows in right. a week and then sometimes you have a couple weeks off. So. I don't think I played 70 shows in New York my first five years here. I mean... I mean, it's, I think it's... Yeah, no, I've definitely played a, a lot. I mean, some of it's because I did the Bushwick Public House series. I've been playing Stephen Gauchy's band, so that's like 20 of the shows just right there. Sure. Um. But even still, there's another 50 that aren't that. Right. But I think there's something advantageous about moving here, not like as like a young whippersnapper who doesn't know anyone, but someone who's actually been developing a musical yeah, language every, and idea before you get here. Yeah. I mean, I, I'd been coming here about once a year. Uh, For how long? Maybe about four or five years. Yeah. Um, usually playing with Weasel Walter. Mm-hmm. Uh, I played with Tom Carter a bunch. He's a guitar player. I don't know. He moved back to Houston. Okay. Um, he's a 
he went to college in Houston. He was living in the Bay Area for a while. I, like my first music project in college was a duo with him. Okay. Um, that was my, one of my first albums. Too. At, you, did you go to UNT? Where'd you go? Uh, University of Texas, Austin. Okay. Architecture school. Right. That's right. You can hear the architect at the other side of the apartment I, talking I hear, right now. I hear the architect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's right. You studied architecture. I studied architecture and now I'm a licensed and licensed. practicing architect. In New York? Are you licensed in New York? I'm not. I'm licensed in Texas. Texas, right. Um, the projects I'm working on are in Texas, so I don't feel the need to transfer my license because it would just be more dues to pay and right. no reason. Right. Um, I thought about getting like a full-time New York job, but like, who wants to actually go to an office and... I don't do think that. offices are like really what they once that. were. So, yeah, I think they're a little more lax than like you can work from. I just don't want to have to travel. Yeah. Every day, I also well, don't want to have to go to work at like nine a.m. every day. I like to play. The, well, the architecture and, thing, from what I can tell, just by living with one who also works from home, is that especially because of like the nature of the clients in an architecture project, like you know, a res- someone's getting their home renovated or whatever. Yeah. The hours are super. Whenever it's it's when the client yeah you have to draw those boundaries. Well, right now they'll I'm, call you at 10 p.m. Yeah, without batting an eye. Yeah, for sure. Well, I, I'm freelancing right now, so I'm not having to deal with clients at all. Right. Uh, my client deals with, or my client, I guess, is the architect who's dealing with the clients. And right. I'm just getting work done. Yeah, you don't have to go to site meetings. No, I don't have to do anything. Just well, I mean, I have to do lots of work, but I don't have to. Because you're doing drafting primarily. I'm doing uh, 3D modeling and rendering. Okay. So, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So sometimes I start work around, you know, 10 or 11. Oh, that's so good. And sometimes I just take the day off. Like today I'm not working. So screw it. Yeah, but I'll probably work on Saturday because I actually have a lot of work to do. Yeah. Um, and I should probably work on Sunday. But that sense of freedom is really good. Yeah, I mean, it makes touring possible. When I was working, I was working full time in Houston. Uh-huh. Um, like my, going into the office. Yeah, every day. Eating crap for lunch. Yep. Yeah. Every day. That's draining. It doesn't feel like work. It doesn't feel like a grind when you can kind of schedule it yeah, in a way it, that works well, for you. Well, it's also, I couldn't tour really because I only had a couple of vacation days. And yeah. so it was hard to get like playing shows out of Texas. I mean, I'd go up to New York for a weekend or something, but mm-hmm. you can't really. And also all my friends were working full time too, more or less. Mm-hmm. So my friends being the musicians I played with. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but there's something about. I'm trying to figure this out for myself right now. I'm getting a little old to have not figured this out, but like ha- maintaining a work-life balance that is like a, I mean, look, it would be great to make a hundred percent of income from creative practice. That's never going to happen. It doesn't seem well, likely. Well, even the thing, uh, <laughs> even people who are making money playing music, like a lot of them are actually teaching music and, yeah. uh, or playing music that they don't necessarily want to be playing sure sure so to say that they're making their full they're living creatively i mean yeah there's a handful if i don't know i think that if you're teaching and if, and if you're playing music you don't want to play is that really are you really making money creatively i mean no i don't i don't want I to mean, split hairs here I'm, I'm happy for people who can make ends meet that way well i guess what i'm and saying then, like, there are people who, right. who do get paid for gigs and are making ends meet that way too i'm not right. saying that those people aren't real but right no i mean i guess what i'm saying is like i i've always had jobs Start, I got my first job when I was 13 because I you know, wanted something specific to happen. Um, and I just always have had jobs. And I'd go through periods of like resenting the fact that I have to you know, take a customer's order or something to like not really giving a shit to, you know, just now like accepting like, yeah, you just have to do, you have to make sure you're earning money. So how can you do it in a way that doesn't interfere or invade your sense of creativity? Yeah. Um, and I, so for me, I'm realizing it's, by cobbling little things together at all times. Uh, but I am the kind of person that needs some kind of stability. I mean, showing up at the office every day, there was something kind of grounding about that because mm-hmm. you actually had to keep a normal, you had to go to bed at a reasonable time. You had to mm-hmm. be normal all the time. But mm-hmm. I wouldn't be able to do a job and do all these gigs the way I'm doing it right now. Like no. That. No, you're doing it right. Yeah, so I, th- I I'm like sitting it. across from you, kind yeah. of envious of what I'm hearing. Yeah, no, it's good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I have to. <laughs> I have a lot of work to do this week. <laughs> <laughs> so, wait, so wait, did you when you when did you start playing guitar? Uh, when I lived in Florida in middle school. Grade seven. Yeah. Yeah. I'm uh, still playing the same guitar I bought then. The actual guitar. Yeah. Which is it's, like a semi hollow body thing. Yeah, it's an Ibanez Art Star. I mean, 
I paid $350 for it, which is a lot of money when you're that age. Uh-huh. Yep. You just have the one guitar? I have some other ones. Uh, my dad got me one for Christmas last year, and I've played it a little bit, but it's not the same guitar. Uh-huh. So. What What is it? <laughs> is it like a really nice guitar? Uh, It's a K. K-A-Y. Uh-huh. Those, um, they, it's nice. I like it. Yeah. Uh, This is not a, a diss on the guitar. It's just like. It's like a vintage guitar yeah yeah it's i've played it for a few gigs it's just not the same guitar yeah so like the pickups aren't quite as loud uh-huh um i'm also not quite as comfortable just sort of destroying it like, yeah the art star items just i don't mind like smashing it with things a little bit yeah it scratches whatever yeah it's yeah. got lots of scratches yeah. I mean, it looks fine from a distance but if you look at it you know from a couple feet away then you you, you see it has a nice patina uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but have you modded it out? Like put like new pickups in or anything? Yeah. Well, I've had to replace some pickups, but yeah. it's not, I wouldn't say modded so much as repaired. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, like when I saw you play, whatever that was a month ago, two months ago, mm-hmm. uh, like those pickups seemed really responsive. Yeah, they're really loud. To it all just the stuff came you're that doing. way. It's, it's yeah. just how it is. So it kind of seems like a perfect guitar it's for It's a perfect guitar. I mean, but, I think my style probably developed around that happening to sure. be a perfect guitar. Yeah. And if I had a different guitar, maybe my style would be different, and I, and whatever guitar I had started with would would have influenced that. I'm sure it would have. Uh, but you know, I've just been playing that guitar forever. Do you ever does it? Do you ever see like some like beautiful vintage guitar, and it's like, oh, I want that. I mean, no, not really. Like, I huh. want it. No. Oh. Why would you? I, I lust after gear. I mean, I could see, like, whatever my guitar, I think my guitar wishes it was some sort of Gibson. Your guitar wishes that. Yeah, I mean, you, it's an Ibanez, mean, so it's... It's, it's, a, it's like a rip-off? It's like, yeah, for yeah. sure. Like, most Ibanezes are ripped off yeah. or something. And so maybe I should get whatever it's supposed to have been in the first place. And then, yeah. like, you know, spend a bunch of money and get the really nice one and make sure the pickups are just so. But then, but then once you have like a, you know, that would be like a $2,000 guitar, guitar easily. It's a lot of money. Right. And then if you're going to like fly around and play shows and you're checking that with the airplane. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Okay. Now you have something that you actually have to worry about. Right. So there's a certain freedom to, to not caring too much and knowing that I could just go on eBay and get a, like a very similar one that would probably work just about the same for about $300, $400. Well, you know, that's something Like, that... it's very replaceable. I mean, I don't want to replace it because it's mine. I have memories with it. Of and, course. You know, sentimental, no, et cetera. something but... about, like, I get freaked out anytime I leave town to play because I always bring extra mouthpieces, extra barrels, uh, extra reeds, just because I know that pretty much anywhere outside of New York, if something goes wrong, you're not going to be able to get that shit. Yeah. You know? And there's something, there's like a culture, I don't, did you grow up going to like Guitar Center and stuff? Uh, not so much. I mean, a little bit. I'm really fascinated by Guitar Center. Uh, <laughs> it's a the, funny store. Well, but in the, as a business model, how they've basically destroyed the mom and pop music store, um, and now Guitar Center itself, after having done that, is going out of business, basically. Yeah. Uh, but a lot, there was this thing that developed like in the early 2000s. I saw a lot of people in Brooklyn and New York doing this, like rock musicians. Is the return policy? Is that yeah. what you're going to talk about? You're going on tour. <laughs> so you buy two or three line sixes to all this fucking shit. Yeah. And then you return it when you get back. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I mean, I haven't talked to anyone who's done this, but I've, I've heard about. Yeah. I've, I mean, you know, using amps that way for yeah. like if you have a show that you need a bunch of amps, just. Yeah getting them and returning them so there's that side of it but then also like relying on gear that is known to be not that um durable but easily replaceable so like the green line six you know if that thing craps out you're never more than like a half an hour away from one right i mean you could probably just text put something on facebook say someone bring me the green line six or you could just go to wherever like you know corny ass guitar center better move would be to smash all of the green line six pedals (laughs) i hate that pedal so much (laughs) Do you have one? No. Did you ever have one? No. <laughs> it is. I've had, I had two of them, uh-huh. and they're. I swear to God, they're made out of garbage. They just they don't withstand. I anything. hate them for their looping capacity. You hate um, looping? Yes. In any form. <laughs> I mean, okay. I, I I think that there should be a licensing program for those line six pedals how, how does that how would that work well most people should not have a license to use one. Oh, right 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 and then i don't know I how think, does one become eligible for a license uh i will tell them if they're allowed to use it or not 
But I mean, hey, I've played, I've performed 500 concerts as a musician. Am I eligible for? You have to be able to loop it and not have it sound stupid. Most people they loop stuff, and it's just like, why do I have to hear this more than one time? Well, the answer to that would be there should be um, maybe like a training program. No, every looper should have an indeterminate nature to it that you cannot use it for like rhythmic layering purposes. <laughs> well, I just hate I just hate it when people just build up a thing with them. It's the stupidest thing. It's Nobody just, likes that. It's like you hear a thing and then you hear it again with more stuff on top of it. Right. And then you hear it again with more stuff. And then, oh, they're going to sing on top of it. Like, yeah. Ugh. I have this tiny loopy pedal. You can see it. <laughs> it's right here, actually. Um, it's just such, a, uh, just such a bad form for a song. I, I use this thing for one thing specifically, which is I will use it. I will create like a short little like a five-second thing of like different tones on the clarinet. And I'll just sort of like, you know, use it as like a punctuation. So you're, you're wondering if you can get a license for that. No, I mean, <laughs> it is the pedal I reach for the least. And I'm yeah, showing I mean, the think, pedal to Sandy. It fits okay, like, yeah, in it's, my it's, pocket. It's little. It's, you could put it on top of a credit card, but it's yeah. taller than a credit card. Yeah, obviously. but it's, I mean, looping pedals, I agree with you. And they are especially, um, in my opinion, especially egregiously obnoxious when used with classical instruments. Oh, God. That and laptops. Laptops in general? With classical trained musicians, people are just always putting stuff through laptops. Like, it's going to somehow make it new. Like a cello through a laptop? Yeah, everything through a laptop, man. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I, like, there's always exceptions. I don't want to say, like, oh, I hate this because people are going to be like, but no. I do blah, blah, blah. It's like, yeah, maybe you're doing an okay No, job. I mean, like, the soprano sax is a, just a deeply irritating instrument. But then you hear, like, John Coltrane, and it's like, well, you know. Yeah. Obviously, I can't make that statement as I just did, but then I'll go right back to thinking it's like the most irritating instrument ever. And then you hear Evan Parker, and it's like, okay, two heaviest okay. guys of all time. You Turns know, out it's not the worst thing in the world. Yeah. 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 Fretless bass is like the worst instrument ever. And I don't have a counter to it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't just use a lot of pedals, though. I have like one that I use. It's a pan pedal. Yes, you were using that. Yeah. That's a cool sound. I think it's great because it gives some sort of depth. Yeah. Like spatial, actual spatial depth to to the sound. Totally. And and it, I don't know. I mean, I guess I have to carry around twice as many amps, but. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, that's kind of, you know, uh, two amps in place of a small pedal bag is actually a much larger commitment. Yeah, but, you know, I'm committed to good tone. Yeah. <laughs> Do you, so the only pedal is the pan pedal. No reverb. This is true. Yes. Really? Just the one pan pedal. You use the reverb on the amp? No. Completely dry. Yeah. At all times. I mean, there have been exceptions, I'm sure, but Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's at all cool. Times. That's I It's funny. That... I mean, I can play through one amp sometimes. Like sometimes it's just inconvenient or impossible. Sure. Like the the electricity at Bushwick Public House. Uh, if you plug in my usual setup, buzz, it just buzz. buzzes yeah. incredibly. So I only use one amp there, but most places it works. Right. Well, it's funny because... Also, it's a larger group that I play with down there, so it doesn't really make sense to need two amps. Like, come on. Right, right. You need to be... It's a, it's a group blend sound. Yeah. But there's a guitar player that I, I really respect said something um, that stuck with me, which is that if you're playing electric guitar, you're play what you're really playing is the amp. Um, and for what this person does, that's certainly, this is Steve O'Malley from Sun. Like, that's certainly okay, true. yeah. Uh, for that, yeah. But even for, like, you know, if you unplug the average electric guitar player from their amp, like, what you're left with is this tiny, almost inaudible, clanging sound. Well, that's sound. also a really good sound if you use it nicely. Like, yeah. I, I think a good move is often to... You know, dial off. If, if you're in a quiet enough space where it works, it's just to dial off the volume completely through the amp and just, yeah, have some stuff that's just, just the acoustic sound. Well, so when I saw you play, I don't think I even saw you use a pick once. I didn't use a pick once. Yeah. I don't think I even have or any even... picks. I, I, I mean, I, they probably exist in somewhere. somewhere. In your house. Like, I think <laughs> I found probably, maybe my at my, my parents' one. house, yeah. there's probably some around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but no, I don't really like those. I mean, I saw like toothbrushes and Brillo pads and all kinds of cool objects. Yeah, I got those street cleaner wires. I got some railroad spikes. Yeah. Um, sidewalk chalk. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so you started playing guitar in the seventh grade with the Ibanez that you bought. Uh-huh. 
Um, I was playing normal guitar then. <laughs> That's a- <laughs> You were playing reg, yeah, normal yeah, guitar. Yeah, I didn't get into the experimental stuff until I was like 17. Still pretty young. Yeah, yeah, high but school. Did you um, did you take guitar lessons or you sort of... Yeah, like, I took guitar lessons. And you wanted to learn songs that you liked listening to? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, normal kids learning to play guitar stuff. Like uh, like Led Zeppelin or something? I don't remember. Uh, no Zeppelin. I was trying to figure out like Velvet Underground songs. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. So... Were you, with Velvet Underground, were you uh, in tune with, like, the stranger aspects of that band? Um, eventually. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't trying to do, like, really crazy noise guitar at the time. I was just uh-huh. sort of playing some of the more songy parts. Uh-huh. Uh, playing with people as well? or No, I didn't start... Yeah, no, I, the first people I played with were improvisers, yeah. 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 And what did you hear around 17 that was the sort of introduction to the world of unconventional music? Um... I went to see Sam Rivers Trio. Really? Yeah. In, this in was, Florida. This was in Texas. Texas. Yeah. I'm, he lived in Florida. Yeah, but no, this was in this was in Texas in Houston. Why, I, why did you? How did you end up? There? I was at the record store, you know. Yep. Doing typical buying some Red Crayola records and. Red Crayola at seventeen. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Yeah, um, and like Captain Beefheart and stuff. Okay. And so uh, Dave Dove saw me. He he's like the presenter of all the music, and he saw me like buying a bunch of weird records. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Like, You should come to this Sam Rivers Trio show, and I was like, all right, because yeah, you know that's sort of my attitude. It's just like go look for stuff. Uh huh. Go to stuff. So I went to that, and then I uh, he had a, he still does has a workshop for young people to play improvised music. So I was I was doing that in high school. Hmm. And and what do you remember? Uh, what do you remember about the Sam Rivers concert? Uh, I have a recording of it on a mini disc. <laughs> uh, it was great. Yeah, immediately it was really great. you're like, oh shit, this is amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like the first free jazz show I went to. It was good. Yeah, yeah. Did yeah. you get to meet him afterwards? Um, no. Uh-huh. I think that he was doing workshops with the other kids, but I hadn't quite joined the little yeah ensemble yet. And we, uh, but that was a really cool group. Like, who was in it? I mean, the improv group in, in right uh, in Houston. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Dave had uh, it was so it was, Dave Dove was leading the whole thing, and he had um, uh, Jason Jackson playing saxophone with us every week, and Juan Garcia who okay. plays bass. He lives in Mexico City now, and then Maria Chavez. Do you know her? Yeah, the turntables. Yeah, she joined the group. This is as as a teenager. You guys were doing this. Uh, I think Maria was probably early twenties. Okay. But yeah. She's from Houston? Uh-huh. I didn't realize that. Well, I think she's, she's originally Peruvian, but her right. mom was in Houston. Okay. Yeah. And she was using the turntables? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like, I mean, she used to be like a club DJ. Right. So she her first foray into improvising was with our ensemble, the Mecca kids. What And what were you guys <laughs> just like, it was pure free improv, or were you working with like structures? Oh, uh, we were doing a lot of like listening exercises. Um sort of structured improv and then we would so we'd probably do like you know two or three exercises that maybe like 10 or 15 minutes each and then we do a improvisation at the end that mm-hmm. would kind of no no rules but you know incorporating kind of thoughts that we had developed in the in the conversations um <coughs> we'd play like pieces where it would be like a five minute piece and everyone's allowed to make two sounds and so in five minutes, you have two moments that you're allowed to yeah. contribute something. Yeah, and you can't, it's not like a, maybe it could be a phrase, but like not like a, but sort of like one idea. And how many musicians were in the group during a five-minute piece like that? I don't know, maybe like five or six, maybe less. So it's five minutes of silence per on. A lot of silence. And the concept is sort of like get yourself used to. Yeah, so we have a bunch of teenagers like sitting around listening really hard upstairs, like in this school where it's like boiling hot like we turn on the air conditioning between pieces but it was too loud to run like when we were actually trying to do anything yeah so we were just like sitting there sweating <laughs> listening really hard. Like, <laughs> and if, if, if someone a normal person walked in they would just go what the fuck is going on here i mean yeah i guess it was strange <laughs> but, the, you know, but i was driving in from the suburbs like twice a week to do this yeah so, i mean i always wonder how people learn improvisation and that well, seems like a really good exercise this was great yeah, yeah. i mean yeah, Dave was going around the schools and just finding, like, doing workshops in the schools. He'd bring musicians through. 
Yeah. Like, I think he probably brought the Sam Rivers trio public to, school. to a bunch of public schools. And he also works with, like, refugee kids and stuff. And Is this guy still around? Yeah, yeah, Houston. Yeah. He's going to be coming to town on, uh, I forget when our gig is, like, August 27th. It's a Monday, I think. Uh-huh. Yeah, he's going to be playing with uh, Maria and I. Where? Uh, Wonders of Nature. Okay. I think it's the 27th. It's whatever that Monday is. Okay. Um, so that's going to be cool. But, yeah, he plays trombone. Trombone. And you, this guy, was. he sounds like he's sort of, like, the... Yeah. He takes people under the wing in Texas. And- yeah. And so I think that's why, well, there's a lot of young people that have come up through, you know, his sort of workshops and such. Uh-huh. Um, so, yeah, there's a really good fundamental of, like, listening and just space in the improvising in Houston. Like, I come here and it's just, like, everyone's so dense. It's Blowing weird. their guts out. Yeah, it's like. But do you, I mean, do you. So, one, it sounds like you can kind of hear similarities in the people that have come up under this guy. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, uh, he he's like heavily influenced by Pauline Oliveros, who's uh-huh. also a Houstonian. Deep listening. Uh huh. So I think a lot of his ideas were sort of like those. Restraint. Restraint. Listening. Um, I mean, we did four meditations for orchestra um, with our group and some people in Austin. Uh-huh. Uh huh. When Pauline came, we've done it twice with Pauline. I guess you got to spend time with Pauline. Yeah, yeah. What was that like? I mean, she's an amazing woman, or she was an amazing yeah. woman, and really kind and i don't know just has a really great presence about her it's yeah it's, it's a loss to did you get to around. do the hang with her yeah 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 that's always like the best when you're when you're like if in and around the legends you know yeah to me it's always the hang is kind of like more crucial than the musical i mean i guess we didn't hang too much i mean like her mom was in town i mean i don't know pauline's mom was in town yeah she i mean pauline's mom lives there i guess she's dead now edith but she was alive at the time? Yeah, that's how D- Dave got into improvised music because he and Pauline's mom were like telemarketers for the ballet or something like how that. How old is Dave? The symphony. Uh, I would guess 45. I don't know. I have no idea how old Dave is. Sorry, it's your younger Dave. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> Pauline Olivero's mom uh-huh. was working as a telemarketer. Yes. She must have been like 100 years old. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't okay. know. All right, all right. Yeah, <laughs> so, um, but that was in the '90s, I think. Okay. Yeah. Okay. The it, it is. It's always interesting to me to kind of hear regional differences in improvising. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's funny, like I, there there are a lot of people who do sort of like a lowercase thing. Yeah. You know, which is like the opposite of this blowing your guts out. But that to me is often as. Houston's kind of middle ground. I wouldn't say it's lowercase. So there there's some lowercase stuff in the mix. Yeah. But it's kind of, I, yeah, as New York, it just seems like there's too many people that went to music school, like jazz school people. There's a lot of them. Most I mean, I, them. I have no, no offense to jazz school, but I just it just sort of creates this idea that it's supposed to be competitive or dense or something, and yeah. like like fast and react. I don't know. I don't mind that. Like, I can definitely play that. I have to yeah. play like that with uh, Weasel Walter. Like, we're super quick and reactive and whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's... <sighs> Like with Weasel specifically, you know, he, like when you listen to him play, there's something kind of interesting about um, he's playing all this like super dense stuff, but he's he can do it at a can, volume that's not yeah. so like in your face. And, and he can flip on a dime yeah. too. So it's it's quick, but it's it's definitely really reactive. Yeah, totally, yeah. totally. And I mean, as a listener and then as a player, for me, the challenge sort of becomes like, do you genuinely have the ability to have those moments happen so quickly and have them be thoughtful and like well-shaped, well-executed ideas. Because if you take that stuff apart and you can, we can name musicians who do that stuff super well in, you know, 15 seconds, there are like literally like 10 ideas that have just happened, you know? Yeah. And that's really actually really hard. So if you do it sloppy, it really, it seems sloppy. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's like, it's exhausting. Yeah. No, it's hard to do that. Well, yeah. Yeah, I don't do it well. I tried to do it for a long time, and it's well, not my strong suit. The other thing that's hard about that is, like, if you're playing a set or, like, just making pieces sound different. Mm-hmm. Because if you're, uh, if the piece is just, like, playing everything, which sort of can be if you're trying to play, like, fast and loud, it's sort of, like, getting all of the ideas out, then to, to like, play that piece and then play a, a different piece that's actually, like, not the same thing. It, it's a, that's the challenge. Yeah? How so? <laughs> well, 
I don't know. I just think that uh, improvisations should sound sort of discreet and different from each other. So if you like cued it up in the middle of the track or whatever, you're like, oh, that's not that one. That's this one. Yeah. I mean. That's something you aim for. Yeah. I mean, I don't think I always, I don't think it always works out, but mm-hmm. like, I think that's a good goal. Mm-hmm. Um, just to not repeat yourself, to not like bore the audience. That's like really why, why would you play people. this same piece over again? Yeah. I mean, I think that the, the way to solve that is just to play a really long piece. <laughs> That's that's a, I'm I'm realizing I think that's kind of a cop out. And I just did a tour, a solo tour. I mean, a short tour, like you know, four shows or something. Um, where I made a concerted effort uh, to play at least three pieces, make them discreet from each other. Yeah, during yeah. the solo yeah. set, and um, because you know, I'd always done a thing where I play one long piece, and whether that piece is twenty five minutes or an hour, um, it 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 began to feel like a cop out. Well, I think it's just important to do whatever you feel is challenging. Right. And I think uh, for me. It is challenging to play for longer than 25 minutes. <laughs> yeah. So I think I try to play longer sets just to sort of press that so that I will be able to do that. You, I believe so firmly in the importance of playing longer sets. I, yeah. I get really bummed out. I mean, I think it depends on the context. Like some, if there's too many people on the bill, no one actually wants to hear anyone for longer than no, 25 No, if, if it's like a four-act bill but or yeah, five-act, you I should play you for should half be, an hour. You should be able to play for you know, 45 minutes. You should be able hour. to as a musician, you're saying. Like, yeah. As a, that's a skill you should have. I I think it's a good ideal. I mean, I don't... I know, I, 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 I agree. Can, I, I realized I had a conversation with a friend recently where something that we both have noticed between like um, an older generation of improvisers and a younger generation of improvisers is because historically improvised music on a world stage has kind of been able to exist within like the jazz world. Mm-hmm. You know, you go play a jazz festival. Well, you're supposed to play for 55 minutes or something. So you will po- quite possibly hit points in the set where the music just isn't happening. Mm-hmm. But you know you have to do another 25 minutes. Well, yeah, you're going to so, figure something out. Yeah, so you pull out of it. You figure a way to to bring the music back to, to an interesting place. If you're just playing like house shows in Brooklyn where there isn't this like sort of imposed uh, aspect of entertainment for an audience on a stage... And you just play for 15 <laughs> minutes, like, that's cool. That could be a really great 15 minutes of music, but I don't know that you're working on the ability yeah. to dig yourself out of shitty situations. Well, if you can... 15 minutes is a really short set. I mean, I think... It, people do it? I No offense. I think, actually, you know, a good 15-minute set is, is a good 15-minute set. Sure. Like, that's... Maybe it's appropriate. But if you can't do, like, a 30-minute set, I don't know, like, how much content do you have? I don't know. I don't know. I think it's good to have exterior um, uh, ba, 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 ba. constraints and things of pushing you further into the music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's good. I think it's healthy. It's good. It's good for your artistic growth. And um, yeah, it's context. You know. You know. To me, you know what a perfect concert is to me of improvised music. If I could have it my way, every time I go to a show, mm-hmm. it would be a fifteen-minute opening solo set, okay, followed by like a forty-five-minute to an hour-long concert by someone else i'm okay with that but i would that feels like a full concert experience to me and that i feel like oh that would be like a nice i did i did. I might say like the 20 20 minute solo set uh-huh. or maybe 25 minute solo set and maybe like 45 minute of the yeah. second group unless the second group is really good and then, right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah i don't know if i want an hour like maybe i do uh yeah playing too long is 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 then there's Not the most compelling thing. Hey, do we have time for another short one? Have you ever had a good experience doing one more short one? I mean, sometimes it's fine. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It usually. But it's always such a funny question and it's like becomes such a cliche. Do one more short one. Yes, yeah. do one more short one. Do we have time for a short one? Yeah. 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 I, 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 I like one more short one when I'm getting the chance to play with someone who I never get the chance to play with. And I don't know when, when or if it'll ever happen again. I mean, sometimes they're just there's just the amount of time that's good for a short one, so yeah. you should. Yeah, or but if having you only... to ask if you if there is time that 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 weird. Well, I you know so while you're talking about around. your like your your license and your permit to get a looping pedal, uh-huh. I would like to mandate any venue anywhere in the world, in between sets, if you don't play house music, you're gonna get fined. There's nothing worse. You don't like the silence between... Oh, yeah. I know. I fucking hate... No, if you get done playing 
and you're just sitting there and, and you're packing up and there's no house music on you're just that's excruciating like, yeah, for me it's kind of awkward like it doesn't have to be like <laughs> you know but like, put on like you know a morton feldman track that just kind of gives you like it separates you from the moment you just had yeah so you don't feel like people well, are still accuse, staring accuse at you use the audience to start talking to each other or something yeah. like stop, and then you know if the music's a little strange are people like oh is it over was that is there more you know it's just it's a cue to see my cue is i just flip off the amp and then I flip off the other amp, and then they make kind of a buzzing sound. I pack up my stuff. When I play a show and <laughs> I stop, I finish the concert, and there's no house music, and I look over, and there's a guy who's been responsible for the mixing board. He's just like standing around. I want to like throw a pencil at him and be like, "Hit play on something." <laughs> Quick, they're looking at me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's insane to me. So, did you start putting together your own group or groups at the time in uh, when you were going through these workshops? Uh. I you know I we'd all get together like off hours besides just the workshops and play. Yeah. 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 Conversations. We talked about the music so much. Oh, so, good. <laughs> so good. Like all we did was play music and then talk about. It's just it's kind of ridiculous. Do you, I mean I don't know just we just took it very very seriously. Yeah, not, as one should. Yeah. And that's a great time in life when yeah. you're like early 20s late teenager getting yeah. really excited about something you have other people to get excited about it with yeah it was great it's the and, best uh, yeah we all learned how to play and listen and were you listening to like a ton of shit were you listening to like the whole broad range of like jazz electric jazz improvised music contemporary music like all the stuff at yeah. once yeah <laughs> that's a big undertaking yeah i don't even try to do that anymore no. i mean i'm just like okay huh. heads, I... heads full <laughs> i get it <laughs> there's lots how old are you 33 okay and the head's already full <laughs> i mean I, I don't know i like to listen to new things but I, yeah. i'm not like actively trying to yeah. like understand the history of all right. music anymore i mean just you just have to accept blind spots at some point and i mean i i have glaring blind spots yeah uh you know that if i even mention some of them i'm sure i'm gonna get like a fucking annoying email from someone but like you want to know a musician i haven't spent that much time with sun Ra. really and you know i don't care that's okay yeah I mean, I, used, I was I was listening to a lot of Sun Ra in, in high school and college, but um, I still don't know all of it. I have like three so Sun Ra records. I could tell you who like prominent members in that group have been over the years. I, but I I just I, yeah, there's only so much stuff I can take in and have taken in, and will continue to take in. Well, I mean, there's always the future. You don't have to listen to it now. Like maybe maybe in twenty years from now, you're like, well. I like knowing that it's there. Yeah, when I'm you, ready can, for you it. can check it out later when you're ready for yeah. it. Like, yeah, you don't have to get through it all right now. There's no rush. From that time period, what what do you remember as being particularly impactful music um, as a I, listener? Uh, I really like Alice Coltrane. Yeah. Back then, yeah. I mean, I still do. Yeah. Um, I liked a lot of Sun Ra. Uh, I don't know. I listened. I listened to a lot of indie rock back then too. So. Like what? Um. I was like the world's biggest pavement fan when I was in, really? in like elementary and middle school. It's kind of weird and like, yeah. you know, normal stuff like Built to Spill and uh, Modest Mouse. Bef like, I don't know. Tortoise? Like yeah. them? Yeah. Tortoise is fucking awesome. Are they still around? Are they still a band? I don't know. I saw them when I was lived in Delaware. Yeah, I saw them once. It was great. It was, I liked it a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's cool music. Um, and what about like European improvised music? Were you guys dipping into that? I had a few albums. Mostly, I just went to like live concerts. Yeah. Um, yeah. So why did you decide to go to architecture school and not music school? Um. Well, I was playing improvised music, and I wasn't particularly proficient at regular guitar. So right. I think music school is never really. I mean, I, I don't know. It didn't even it didn't, seem. Didn't even seem that. I mean, I might have gone to like visual art school. Right. That's probably what I wanted to do. But my parents didn't think I should go to art school. Okay. Uh, so sort of like my options were like be a lawyer or maybe a doctor or something like that. Or architect would work. That's exactly <laughs> what happened with my wife. It's exactly what happened with her. She wanted to go to art school. She wanted to study something more creative. And her parents told her, the most creative thing we will allow you to study is architecture. Yeah, it's sort of... I mean, I think I could have made a, like a really big fuss about it and sure. like forced my way into it. But, you know, if parents are paying for school. They're telling you. Right. Uh, choose between like lawyer or architect. You know, <laughs> like, it's funny. Okay. Like it's, it's, you know, it seems like. I mean, what else would I have? I could, I don't right. know. Right. 
No, I, I'm. It's weird. I'm like not. You know, I don't have um, parents that pushed anything on me at all. You know, not even like getting up to go to school. Did you go to music school? No. What did you go to? I went to like a year of year and a half of like a shitty college, dropped out, and then I did like an associate's degree at an audio engineering program. Nice. I mean, that, but what, when I think about like you know people are like man, my parents are trying to tell me what to do, man. They got they're tell me I got to be a doctor, man. Like I'm actually not like that against that. I mean, I'm, I'm okay with parents like putting down that that rule. You know, there's always degrees of everything, but yeah, I think parents should try and make their kids like be respectable adults when they grow up. That if I, if I had fine. kids and and they said to me, "Hey, I want to go to um, I want to go, <laughs> I want to go to Bard and study, you know, like sound art," I would roll my eyes at them. I would roll my eyes. I'm like, no way. <laughs> well, the thing I don't I don't even know that people should be studying sound art at all. I mean, I think it's it's good, but like, I like sound art. But I, I think the moment that you're just trying to, like, turn it into a practice that can be taught, you're just going to get people coming up with similar ideas. It's like the- it's like teaching people how to write grants or something. I don't quite get... I mean, I wish that was a skill that I was more adept at. Sure, but is that going to make the music better <laughs> or, like, the, the practice? One, I don't believe in the concept of <laughs> the music. And anytime I hear someone say the music who isn't, like, a 75-year-old veteran of... Uh, improvised music i'm pretty sure you could hear my air quotes in my tone no i know i know i'm just saying as a as a side note when i hear the music i want to like throw firecrackers at whoever said it well (laughs) not you because i um um you know whenever i have a friend as as like a an adult who's like oh i'm going back to school i'm always like why like you're smart you don't like you don't need to go to school it's like the worst advice. Maybe they're trying to get skills to get a better job. No, that's it. But like, what? what there's no, there's no jobs left. Like everything's fucked. Don't you? Like, don't people get that? I mean, there's got to be some jobs. I guess I don't. I need a new job. Are you guys hiring? <laughs> <laughs> so, so no music school. And yeah, that's. I don't know. That's, I mean, I I played a lot of music when I was in college. Like uh, Tom Carter and I had a duo for mm-hmm. my my first semester of college. And then my second semester of college, I joined a band called The Weird Weeds. The what? <clears throat> the Weird Weeds. Okay. It was uh, me and Sarah Hennies, who's a percussionist, yeah. and Aaron Russell. I don't know Aaron. He's a guitar player. He's great. He still lives down there? Yeah. He just recently moved to Houston. Okay. Uh, but he was living in Austin then. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we all moved to Austin right around the same time. And we started a band, and it was really improvised music. No, no, it was like uh, experimental rock music. Okay, but like really weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that like an aspect of music that you're still participating in and interested in? Is I mean, like song-based music. I liked that band because it gave me a reason to write songs. Mm -hmm. Without that band, I don't really have a reason to write songs, so I don't write them. And so, and as you're walking around, as you're picking up your guitar, you don't. It's just you don't even like subconsciously start playing a chord or thinking about like a, no yeah yeah yeah. I mean, I've done some like improvised sets that have vocal melodies or you know repeated vocal parts yeah. on top of them, and I think that's influenced by my experience in the band. But I haven't really done those sets in a while. I was trying to work on it this summer, like a couple weeks ago, um, but I just I don't really need to be singing right now. Yeah. I wonder about like person to person. Sorry, um, very professional. Uh, <laughs> instrument to instrument, um, like how much people the 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 tradition of the instrument influences the the music makers thinking. You know, like I, I do a lot of like sound based stuff, but there's always that little devil floating around, devil and angel saying like, "This is how a clarinet should be played. This is how a clarinet should sound." You know, I don't have any of that yeah, in my that's, playing. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. My most recent uh, discovery is that if you take a like a tea towel uh-huh. and wrap it around the strings, you don't actually accidentally hit any of them, which is really handy for certain guitar techniques. Wait, if you do what? <laughs> wrap the strings with a tea towel. Uh-huh. You won't accidentally hit them. Yeah, great. <laughs> Who needs to play the strings of the guitar? <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, I've uh, been working on a new solo set that's nothing but like really high-pitched tones and beeping yeah uh which sounds really cool through two amps because uh the sine waves interfere with each other so if you turn your head slightly it might get really really loud or really really quiet oh i love that 
it's fun. It's a do fun you, thing to play, and it's just really strange spatially. So when you're working on these techniques and you're incorporating them into the the music that you make, the uh, music, the music <laughs> that you make, uh-huh. <laughs> um, do you does all of it lend itself to group improvisation easily, or is it all is there? Uh, I can end up doing like a dronier set, which does not interact well with other people. Right. But yeah, it's the same techniques. I mean, you can just you just listen harder and right. I don't know. I mean, I, just, oh, I would say my solo sets are fairly improvised too, unless they're the vocal ones. But even then, it's improvised. Mm-hmm. Like the solo set you saw, I didn't know what I was gonna do mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, right immediately before you have to pick up some object or other to play the guitar with it. But yeah, other than that, I don't. Yeah, no. I, I mean, it's, inf- it's informed by what I've done. Right. The last, uh, but also, I think the how the room sounds, what the other people have been doing, the sort of how attentive the audience is. Yeah, this is real improvised music. Yeah, it's what you're talking. So about. yeah, even a solo set is yeah. really informed by that, and also like solo sets. You know, is if the audience is if it's like a rock show or something, you need to do some crowd control with your sound. Like you yeah. need to make the crowd shut up. Yeah. And. There's two ways of doing that, which is oh either to play really loud or really quiet. Yeah. And one of those ways might work and one of them might not. So you have to, I don't know, use Got the it. sound to to shape the audience into listening the way That's you want them one. to. Yeah. That's a big one. Yeah, because, you know, if you start off at a middle level and people are still talking, you're not going to get them to pay attention. So you have to start really loud so that they know that you're starting, then get really quiet so that they know they should shut up. You don't uh-huh. make people feel awkward if they're talking. Uh-huh. 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 <laughs> and then you have the freedom to do whatever you want at that point. You need to you know, wrang- the, wrangle, yeah, wrangle totally. the crowd. I mean, you know, sometimes you don't need to do that because people are respectful and paying attention in the first place. So, Do you like playing? Like, um, There's something kind of fun about playing like a shitty room where people don't care about you. Yeah. It gives you the opportunity to try that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a challenge. I at one point in my life would have been very uptight about that kind of thing. And just a year ago, I told some people to shut the fuck up. Um, <laughs> in Texas, actually. Where? Uh, in uh, blah, 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 Dallas. Dallas? Cool. Um, which I felt terrible after the show. I was like, I wish I didn't. I wish that didn't happen. I wish I could take that back. But um, there's a part of me that likes playing adverse situations. Yeah. See, I don't necessarily want to yell at people to shut the fuck up. I, I mean, I lost my cool. I was, fucking, yeah. I was really angry. But I like to try and tell them that with my music. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's funny. A lot of I, I think it can be difficult. There's there are people who do solo stuff a lot, and I became very self conscious of to avoid this myself. Who get so locked into what they do as a solo thing that they don't fully um, expand their musicianship to play well with others. Before I did a lot of solo sets, I was very skeptical that people that were playing improvised solo sets were actually improvising at all. Right. And I think that there are a lot of people who claim to be improvising their solo set when they know that they're going to do thing They know point A, a to point B to point B. C. Yeah. They know what all the transitions are. Like, yeah, they might, there's some flexibility, I'm sure, sure. but it's not really improvised. So they're not good improvisers. I mean, maybe they are, but that's not demonstrating. That's not improvised music. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. For, yeah. Right. No, I agree. I agree. And you, I feel like I can hear it. I feel like I've been guilty of it in the past, um, and it took me some time to get out of that to a place where, like, no, this is solid improvised music based on a musical language. Yeah. And if you have a musical language, it's like, yeah, you're gonna, you know revisit sonic worlds that you've created before obviously yeah you're you know? not gonna like whole wholly create a new music i had that's no idea what just happened i invented a new note yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly like, exactly yeah. um you know I, I i had a conversation with fred frith one time where he told me that he's on tour um something he does to keep it fresh for himself every night is he never uh puts his pedals in the same order or he'll just randomly eliminate a pedal from the from the chain you know, which yeah. is great. It's like such a simple concept that is totally like in line with real improvised music. Yeah, you have to react to the situation. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. Do you? Um, well, I play with a lot of implements, so mm-hmm. sometimes. When did you start pulling all that stuff into the to what to the music? Um, right when I started improvising. <laughs> yeah, immediately. Yeah. Threw the pick aside. Grab well, the steel wool. If you're going to make one sound in five minutes or maybe two sounds, 
Like, do you want it to be like a open E string? Like, come on. <laughs> That's a really good point. Yeah. Like, make it sound interesting. Right. Make it, make it like count. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I started doing that quickly. It's funny. So again, thinking back to the show that I saw you do a little while ago, the volume pedal. It's a pan pedal. Yeah, it's, it's great. It's a pan pedal, but yeah. you, you weren't using a volume pedal as well. Well, it's it's a pan. It pans between the two amps. Right. So it can switch into a volume pedal. There's a little flippy switch on the right, side. Right, right, right. The volume pedal is to me one of the pedals, and or the you know the pan, but that function, that yeah. kind of cradle function, is such like a perfect design it feels musical your foot sits on top of it and you can move with the sound i like it a lot yeah because it's it's you know feet can't do very many complicated things but they can do that very well yeah and it's totally like yeah i'm not like trying to like dial a bunch of knobs or yeah it makes it very unrigid it makes it kind of i love i always have a volume pedal that i do feedback with fun yeah that's it right there Look at it. Oh. oh nice. <laughs> so since you got here, are, have you established like ongoing groups of your own? Uh, I'm still working on that. I've been playing with... Do you want to? I guess so. <laughs> yeah. I've been playing a lot with uh, Sam Weinberg. Uh-huh. Uh, he's a saxophone player. Yeah, yeah. Great and, guy. Yeah. Um, and we did a trio with Ben Bennett in Philadelphia. And mm-hmm. Charmaine played with us at a session. That was fun. Okay. Um. So me and Sam play a lot. I play a lot with Weasel Walter, mm-hmm. and sometimes Damon Smith plays with me and Weasel, but we've been doing that ongoing for a long time. Right. Uh, I've been playing in Stephen Gauchy's house band at the Bushwick series a lot. And what is that like? You, you mentioned that. With that it's, it's weird. Yeah. I mean, it's like free jazz plus me playing like weird guitar on top of it. Okay. It's pretty fun. It works. I like it. Yeah. It's good to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, and I was playing uh, Michelle Yam. And Paul Feitzinger. I don't you know probably, that. Yeah, you probably don't. Um, They're here? Michelle right now is in Berlin, but she'll be back here in the fall. Okay. And yeah, Paul's here. He plays percussion. Okay. We have a trio recording that's on the Free Music Archives, the WFMU one. Uh-huh. It's really good. Yeah? From uh-huh. recent? Yeah, like a month or two or three ago. You guys played in the studio on FMU? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a fun gig. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... Uh, that that's a group that I would like to do more with. Yeah, we have to wait for Michelle to get back. Right, right. That's exciting when that happens. When you play with a group, and you're like, "Oh, this should happen." Yeah, Michelle's more. from Houston, so we're so you guys have known each other forever. Uh, for a while, yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Having a band is weird. Well, here it seems weird because it seems like the people who have a band now are somehow trying to get the band to practice, and then you're also supposed to pay the band if you play a gig, but the gigs never pay any money, so then you end up. I don't know. I just I just see weird band dynamics. I just I I don't know. Yeah. Like, do I do I want to deal with that, or should I just improvise with people? I I don't want to be a band leader. Right. Uh, I like the sort of more democratic kind of we're all in this together. Mm-hmm. Do you want to play? Mm-hmm. And rather than like I'm the leader of this band. Who's but in my band now? Within that, do you feel fully satisfied as far as like the, the of everything you want to put out? Like, do you ever want to put together like a composed piece or? Or, or even like a group that's working with an idea. Um, I think some of that might just pop up organically if I just start playing yeah. more regularly with people. Yeah. I mean, if you play a lot of shows or like a lot of sessions with with people, you sort of there's a potential to fall into certain sort of sound. Of course, of course. Spatial things, and once you can sort of articulate what that is, you can say, "Hey, let's do the one that's like really quiet." or whatever (laughs) or the you can sort of describe it and say hey let's revisit that and it becomes a piece but that band leader composer shit's weird yeah i'm not a like when 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 it's all on you yeah when i was in houston i i had a a group like an all-female large ensemble and we would do a lot of compositions but i used to try and make everyone else compose stuff too so Mm -hmm. i wanted it to be very democratic um but the thing about large groups is no one actually wants it to be democratic. Like, no one wants to take a vote on when practices. They just want to be told when it is. Yeah. So someone has to someone decide ends and, up being... being the coordinator and right. taking charge and telling people like it is. Mm-hmm. So. I don't think I'm interested in any group larger than three people. Oh, God. We had, like, 12 people, and it was a... I mean, it's really hard to get that many people to show up at the same place at the same time. Yeah. It's very difficult. It's really hard, and just the the 
fucking craziness of people. Yeah, people are nuts. Yeah. Um, you get a lot of camaraderie, but also sort of interpersonal conflict can come out when you have a dozen people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's a it's a task. It's a task. <laughs> I mean, I really liked work. That, that group did some really cool projects that I'm very proud of. Sure. Um, we did a thing at the Manil. Um, Francis Ali had this thing called the Fabiola Project, where he collected hundreds of sort of folk art renditions of Fabiola, who's the patron saint of nurses and abused women. What? And they're all hung up on a wall. They were all, they're all installed together. So it's kind of like just like a whole bunch of pictures of this woman. That sounds pretty cool. It's pretty cool. So we, yeah. we, in the room where the installation was, we did, um, I don't know, like five or six different pieces that different people in the group had written. Uh-huh. And it was really cool. It's on the internet. Okay. Look up if you're looking for, what were we called? Uh, Red Current. At Red the, Current. Red Current at the Manil. Okay. Um, yeah, that was really cool. And touring continues to be a thing that you dig? Um, yeah, I hate booking shows. It's but I, worst. I do like to play music and meet new people. So. You just said it. I just don't like bugging people for gigs. Like, it's the always, worst feeling. Like even if I know that they want me to, I just feel like I'm like a, I'm, hey, I'm can bothering I, can them. I have a gig? Like I don't like feeling like I'm bothering. I people. hate that. That's it. What's it's your birthday? February. Okay. Yeah, I have. That's that's the heart of the whole, of all of what it takes to make music. You know, in a concert on a for a recording, all that aspect of it. The asking for something. I hate asking for it's things. A, it's yeah. a real mind fuck for me. Yeah, me too. It brings up like the worst in me. I just sort of avoid it, and then I realize that oh, I'm actually trying to go on tour, and I haven't booked anything. <laughs> right. Uh, but you know, some some sometimes I'm I'm feeling you know pretty good, and I'll I'll be like, all right, I'm gonna send out a bunch of emails, and yeah, it goes well. But like you know, there'll be like a month or so when I just yeah, I don't want to send any emails. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and I mean, how frequently are you touring? A lot. Um. What counts as a tour? Just like leaving, leaving New York. To play like more, more than, than one show. Okay. Uh, by that standard, I don't know. I guess a couple times. Yeah. I'll, I'll be going. Uh, Maria Chavez and I are scheming about doing some sort of tour in, I think, late September or something like that. Overseas? Uh, no, just in the U.S. Uh -huh. um, I don't have any European travels coming up. Yeah. I'm going to Canada next week, and I'm going to play in Montreal on the way back. Yeah. Where? Um. I forget the name. Of the Are name. you still a Canadian citizen? Mm -hmm. Okay, so I, getting in and out of Canada with an instrument isn't the hassle for you that it is for many. It's very easy. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's not the case for most people. Everyone, like the border people, are quite friendly. Yes, they are. <laughs> uh, driving back, the guy made me pop open my trunk, which was the first thing that really? ever happened. Like they've never made me look in the trunk before, but of my car. But uh -huh. you know, there's a guitar back there, and that's okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. what's he gonna do? Like, no, you cannot come back to the country. I'm citizens of both places, so you've dual citizenship. Yeah, I got my U.S. citizenship about like eight years ago. That's pretty. I cool. mean, technically speaking, when you get your U.S. citizenship, you have to renounce your other citizenships. Mm -hmm. But like, there's not like a formal process of that, and Canada still considers me Canadian. Keep so, it. So, I mean, my Canadian passport is expired, but. But keep that citizenship. Yeah. That's like something you guard with your life. I don't think you can even get rid of it if you wanted to. Canada Why wants would? all the yeah. people you... <laughs> you know, I... Um, well, no, that's that's a story for off mics. But I, uh, someone I know <laughs> has some pretty interesting citizenship issues. Okay. Uh, yeah. Do you... Any, any, any of records coming out? Uh, yes. Me and Chase Gardner have a duo. He's a guitar player. Uh -huh. Um, have a duo CD that's coming out sometime in a month or two, maybe. Mm -hmm. I need to work on the artwork for that. And then I've been recording some stuff, uh, some solo material I was recording, and also a duo with Sam Weinberg. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's coming out or what's going on with it, but it's some recordings that are Do you good. do all the artwork for your records? Um, yeah, I sort of had a record label, and uh -huh. I... And I made all the art for that. And that felt like an important part of it? or Yeah, I mean, I don't want to run a record label. <laughs> uh, like, I have yeah. no desire to run a record label. Uh -huh, uh -huh. But um, somebody needs to release all my records. Uh, yeah. But actually, I have a, um, 
the the thing with Chase is going to get released on a label. What label? I forget. Uh, Marginal Frequencies, okay. I think. Um, but but as far as doing the visual art. Yeah, well, I was doing a lot of visual art, mm-hmm. so it just sort of made sense to just, like stick it on a record cover, because why not? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it, it, but is that is that like satisfying for you? Yeah, yeah. I yeah. like doing the graphic design. I like mm-hmm. making the art that goes for the graphic design. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to have a hard time with the text layout. That used to really bother me. Just not I, knowing how to get it to the way you like yeah, it. Yeah, but I think I've gotten better at it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I wish I knew how to do that stuff. You just need Photoshop. Right. Or InDesign or If something. I opened up Photoshop on my computer, I would have no idea. Yeah, it's tricky. Where to even begin. Yeah. And Photoshop is not like a cheap program. Is I it? have a hacked version that's on a Mac that's like five years old, so I'm hoping that I don't have to up- update the operating system. <laughs> right. Uh, but I think you can get Photoshop for like $10 a month or something. They have some sort of really? subscription thing. Should I just learn Photoshop? I probably should. Like, do you want to learn Photoshop? I just am frustrated it's more, that I can't. It's, there's, if there's any aspect of making a recorded piece of music available to people, mm-hmm. I get super frustrated if there's an aspect or many aspects that I can't personally do myself. Then, yeah, maybe you should learn it. But yeah. it's also a complicated program. Like, it's a bit of a learning curve to it. Yeah. Um, I'm sure you can, like, watch some tutorial on YouTube or something. I mean, it can't be that hard. Maybe I'll do it. I think I'm going to do it. Okay. All right. I think, I think we did well here today, Sandy. Yeah. Thank you for coming home. <laughs> Thanks for having me. All right. That was Sandy Ewan. She's cool. And she plays the hell out of her instrument. Go check Sandy out. Wonders in Nature on the 27th, Hollow on the 29th, and go to her website, sandyewen.com. That's it. Talk to you guys next week. Bye.